I thought we'd look at um, some thoughts about our Lord, obviously, coming on to Resurrection Sunday. Um, and I got thinking, what would I want to preach? Again, it's not Ecclesiastes because it's um, resurrection's, resurrection uh, season. But I, I thought it'd be good to, to get a glimpse. I guess I would say this. We get a glimpse of who our Lord is, even, even as he faced death. What was he doing? And uh, many books have been written on the seven sayings of the Savior from the cross. Um, I've actually borrowed this outline from one of those authors. But again, you know, what, how was he ministering? Just get a better glimpse of Christ. Um, by the way, let me uh, give you a quick update. I was in the hospital for six days, I guess, this last week. Got out on Wednesday. Feel good. Very little pain. I'm not driving my wife nuts yet, so everything's going. She's been a trooper through this whole process, which I very, very much appreciate. Um, so that's where we are. Let's, uh, let's bow for prayer. Father, again, we thank you for your word. And uh, it's the uh, only place that we can find stability. It's an anchor to our soul as your spirit uses it. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom and conviction. Lord, it seems that it's easy to quote verses or have truth, but maybe not have it as bedrock truth. Lord, may this would be bedrock truth, that we would be willing to go to even our death, believing and holding true to it. Uh, Father, again, we thank you for the faithfulness of your Son, that he accomplished your plan of redemption, that he did it not only willingly, but he even said it was his, his meat, his food, it, it was his sustenance, it, it's what he lived for. Christ lived to do the will of the Father. And we thank you for that. And that the Spirit of God draws us and gives us new life, gives us faith, gives us repentance. And uh, really, as we've said many, many times, especially this last few years, that uh, the work of salvation is the work of the Trinity. And I pray that you'd give us understanding into the last seven things that uh, our Lord said, uh, the people he dealt with, and how he dealt with them. Help us to get a better glimpse, better understanding of the heart of our Lord. And uh, we ask that this would be for not just knowledge, the purpose of knowledge, but that we might um, be able to then glorify him and become more like him as we know how he is. So we ask for your wisdom and your power to change. In Christ's name, amen. So if you want to just kind of get to the Gospels, I guess I would say, you know, there's something solemn and significant about the last words of men and women. You know, the last words just before they exit this earth. Often what they are truly, often what they truly are comes to the surface in the face of death. In other words, the anticipation of Anticipation of death defines the person of who he really is. And you see that in a few places. I could give you many illustrations. Let me give you a couple. Napoleon Bonaparte, you know, that famous general and emperor, said while waiting for his death, quote, I die before my time and my body will be given back to the earth. Such is the fate of him 
who has been called Great Napoleon. What an abyss between my deep misery and the eternal kingdom of Christ. What an abyss. And he saw, he said, who I am and what Christ, big abyss. Or Voltaire, that French infidel, is reported to have said to his doctor, quote, I am abandoned by God and man. Now that, that's a, you know where he stands. I will give you half of what I am worth if you can give me six months more of life. And, you know, and many times when it comes to the end of life, people are just scrapping, just give me just another day, another hour, another whatever. Thomas Hobbes, a skeptic who corrupted the faith of many of England's great men, exclaimed, quote, if I had the whole world, I would give it to live I would give it all to live just one more day. I shall be glad to find a hole to creep out of it, out of the world at. I am about to take a leap into the dark. Had no idea. Isn't wouldn't that be sad? I mean, what holds us together? Faith. You know, I'm just I'm just leaping in the dark. That's what uh, this skeptic said. I think of the apostle Paul. You know, and we go back to that, that uh, final, one of his final statements in 2 Timothy chapter 4. I, For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. Now think about what it, what it you know, symbolizes, being poured out, complete. Complete. I'm, I'm completely being poured out. And, and he was okay with that. that. That's what's great about the Apostle Paul and so many of the, uh, you know, Christians. Christians are okay with being poured out on this side of death. Because this is not what they were living for. I'm, I'm poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I've fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the... Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So, I mean, was Paul anticipating his... Is exit from this earth? Absolutely. Was he confident enough in it? Absolutely. In fact, that word departure, and the, uh, the time of, the, uh, of my departure is at hand, uh, was used when we studied it back a while ago, uh, was used of um, tent pegs. You know, you go camping, but in the morning you have to pull the tent pegs up, they go somewhere else, and, and he uses that word, the idea is we're just in tents. We're just in these old ratty tents, and, and we've got to pull up the tent pegs to get to our real home. And we all have to pass through unless the Lord comes back, um, the shadow of death. But we want to talk more about the Lord today. Okay, we want to focus in on his, how did he respond to death? He's, now, by this point in the storyline, many of the things that we would consider torture has happened to him. He's been betrayed, he's been spat on. He's been humiliated. He's been mocked, beat, scourged. All those things have happened. Pulling of the beard, smashing, crown of thorns. All that stuff has happened. Which is not the main suffering. It's, it's sad that many times Christians think that that's the suffering of Christ. Well, that, that was suffering, but that was not the main suffering. The main suffering was the atonement. When on the cross, the wrath of the Father, all the sins, all the penalty for our sins was placed on Christ. That's where true suffering took place in our Lord's life. And what we want to do is just give you the seven things that were said while he was on the cross. Okay, the seven sayings of 
the Savior on the cross. And again, very familiar. In fact, I told my mother I was going to preach on this, and she said, no, I'm listening to a message on this right now on the radio. <laughs> it was a couple days ago. Okay, but the first one is this, a plea for forgiveness. As we look at, as we look at our Lord and how he responded and what he was doing, it gives us a glimpse again into his heart. That's, why, that's really why I want to do this, because it, it shows me who he is. Okay? I need to have Jesus. We all need to have, not just for salvation, but we need to have a strong understanding of, of his character. And how did he respond? So the first one is a plea for forgiveness. And we find this in Luke 23, verse 32 to 34. 32 to 34. It says, There were also two other criminals led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, they were crucified. And the criminals, one on the right hand and and the other on the left, and then Jesus said, Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. This is a plea for forgiveness. Forgive them. By the way, we have to first decide, is that a command that the Son is given to the Father, or is that a prayer? What does that look like to you? Forgive them, Father. Well, it's a prayer. It's a prayer. If it had been a command, every one of them would have been saved. And we know that not to be, that's not true. See, what was in the heart of, what, is, what was in the heart of the Savior, even as he was being crucified? The heart was that they would be forgiven. Okay? That they would be forgiven. Those who were pounding the nails in his, well, here, and feet, and those who are observing, and more than just the soldiers, that they would be forgiven. I mean, it shows the, the, the mercy and the grace. What it shows is this, that our Lord did not go to the cross bitter and angry and resentful. That he, that he came to do the will of the Father, and he was perfectly, uh, he, he was in, in perfect unison with that. He came to do the will of the Father. J.C. Ryle said this, these words, Father, forgive them, were probably spoken while our Lord was being nailed to the cross. In other words, while those nails were actually being nailed in is probably when he was actually saying those words. Or as soon as the cross was reared up on end. It is worthy, it is worthy of remark that as soon as the blood of the great sacrifice began to flow, the great high priest began to intercede. I don't know about you, but when, you get, when I get in pain, the last thing I think about is anyone else. I think about me. And yet we see in our Lord intercession. See, they're mocking him and jeering him and taunting him. They're dividing his, his garments and all. And what is he doing? He's praying. He is praying for those who hate him, who want to see him destroyed. In Isaiah 53, verse 12. Now again, this is Isaiah 53, 12. So this is the very end of Isaiah 53. It says this, because he, in these same words, he poured out himself to death. That smacks of complete. He poured himself out to death and was numbered with the transgressors. 
Yet he himself bore the sins of many and interceded for the transgressors. There again, he's interceding. What do you do when you're in pain? Not that, usually. But he's interceding. He's here to, he's here to accomplish redemption. So again, it shows the merciful heart of the Savior towards his enemies and towards his tormentors. It's like Romans 12.21 says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Don't be overcome with evil. Have you been overcome with evil? It's pretty easy. Just think of pain in so many different ways. It may not be a steel spike being driven through your, your arm, but what's the pain in your life that is so great that now you don't pray? In fact, you're, veg- you're going toward vengeance. Resentful, bitter, angry, frustrated, irritation. I mean, the last thing you want to even see is them repent. Kind of like Jonah, you know. I know if I, you know, give you the, if, if, you know, if you get the gospel, if you get the message, you're going to repent and then you won't have to pay the consequence. I mean, wasn't Jonah just a very carnal person? He had the greatest revival, greatest awakening of all time right there by a sinful, selfish, fleshly evangelist. Um, but for our purposes, you know, we have to ask ourselves, am I that type of person? Am I one who is praying? Go to Hebrews chapter 7, because again, it, this is the end. Hebrews 7, just keep your hand, by the way. In the, Hebrews seven twenty-five. I think, <clears throat> I mean, look at our high priest. Verse 24, therefore he also is able, or no, let's see here, Hebrews 7.25. Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. To the uttermost. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. And it started there on the cross. For such a high priest was fitting for for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sin and then for the sins for for the people's. For this he, he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weakness, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the Son who has been perfected forever. So you see the perfection. He sat down, another passage says. He sat down. And by the the way, were the the prayers answered? When he prayed to the Father, forgive them, was that prayer answered? Well, yeah, because we find just in this this, this narrative right here, one of the thieves, what? Gets saved. And then later on, the centurion says this, in Luke 23, verse 47, this man was innocent. So in other words, the eyes were open. The spiritual eyes were open. At Pentecost, thousands were getting saved. And then again, thousands were getting saved. And then in Acts 6, verse 7, it says, many priests were becoming obedient to the faith. I mean, the, the prayer that Jesus said to the Father was answered. Forgive them. And many, many, many were forgiven because of faith in Christ. So the first thing he does is a plea for forgiveness. How about the second? A promise of salvation. 
Now we find a promise. One guy, one commentator, uh, 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 put as the uh, heading for this chapter, the, the luckiest man alive. <laughs> Talking about the guy that got saved on the cross. Look at Matthew 27, verse 44. Now again, when they first get on the cross, what were they doing? They were both jeering him. <clears throat> they were both casting the same insults at them, it says in Matthew 27, 44. But in then, uh, let's see here, in, in Luke 23.39, I know I'm having you go back and forth, but if you go to Luke 23.39, it says, Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other one, answering, rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing that you are under the same condemnation? And we in, indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. I mean, we're just, we're just receiving what we deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. See, his eyes are being opened. His eyes. So there's a promise of salvation. Where, well, let's, let's keep reading. And indeed justly, for as we receive the due reward, verse 42. Then, then turned to Jesus and said, this is the one, Thief, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The luckiest man on alive. The luckiest man. Why, who would have ever thought that a person that is on the cross, ready to die within hours, could then have eternal life? He had, there was nothing he could bring. He couldn't even get off the cross to get baptized. There was nothing he could do. Just remember me, Lord. Because I know that you are the Lord. Just remember me. And it is interesting that he does use the word Lord. Lord, curios, you're the Lord, you're the Master, you're the truth. Just remember me. And you might say, why, did he, why was this all said aloud for our benefit? So we know what was going on. Okay? So again, forgiveness was granted. That's a promise. A promise of salvation. Something that we can't do. And, and again, we have to be really careful on how does a person get saved? How, how can a person go from darkness to light, from death to life? And again, it's not by what we do, it's who we believe in. Acts 16.31 says, And they said, and they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. How do you get saved? How do you get saved? By believing in Christ. How do you know that for sure? How do you absolutely know that you cannot get saved? You, you, you don't have to have any works associated with your commitment to Christ to get saved. How, how do you know that? The thief on the cross. Because he couldn't get off the cross. Once he was there, he was... And therefore, he couldn't get baptized. He couldn't do the good works. He couldn't do anything to merit anything before God. All he, all he could say is, Lord, remember me. And the Lord did. Isn't that great? That's all it is. What is salvation? Salvation is belief in what Christ did for us on the cross. Titus 3, verse 5 says, He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His, big word, mercy. Well, how did, why did He save us? Mercy. He had pity on us. He didn't look down and say, well, John, you know, well, he's going to really make something of himself, and I know he's going to really try really, really hard, and he's going to try to be a really, really good father and husband and son, 
and uh, grandfather, and I mean, he's just going to really try to please me, and therefore I'm going to choose him. No, it was because I was a filthy, filthy, rotten sinner, and he chose, and I would get, and he gave me the ability to believe, and as I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, he forgave me on the basis of his sacrifice on the cross. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. What do we get from this? God is eager to forgive a repentant sinner. Do you see the eagerness? Lord, remember me. Today you'll be with me in paradise. He's eager. Do you think of Jesus as eager of wanting to save you? Do you? Sometimes, again, I, I, I've been thinking a lot about this over the last few months especially. Sometimes in Christianity, there, there, this, there's this aura of kind of like, well... God the Father, he's, you know, he's kind of, uh, you know, he wants to save, but he's, to be quite honestly, he's a little ornery. And we have to kind of win the Father over. And, and Jesus comes and he wins the Father. You know what, Father, they need saving. And I'm willing to go and uh, sacrifice myself. And what puts the capstone on is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit says, yes, and, I, and, and I'll help in the process. None of that. It's the Father who loved us so much that he sent his Son. And his Son, it says, you know, it, 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 it's, like my, it's like my daily food. I, I, I love doing the will of the Father. I desire to do the will of the Father. And if the Father has sent me to be the redemption of the world, and so he comes, Christ comes, and he's the Redeemer, and it's all the Trinity, and it's, there's no like hesitation within the Trinity. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. In, 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 in the, um, God, the, God, just let's say God, the Trinity loves to save people. I, I'm saying this because I don't know if I believe that all the time. I always think there was a hesitation. No, God wants to see people saved. Not only for his glory, but for their benefit. And so he's eager, even on the cross. I, I can imagine with all that's going on and all the torture that's happened in our Lord's life up to that point, it must, can you imagine like even the, today you'll be with me. And there must have been a smile. Today you'll be with me. No more suffering, no more pain. Number three, a provision for his mother. Now he turns and, and provides for a part of his family. In uh, John 19, verse 25, it says, Now, therefore... Now, again, these are just sequential things that happened. Okay? He's prayed. He promised. Now he's providing. Now he's going to provide for his mother. Now, therefore, stood... Now, therefore, stood by the cross Jesus' mother and his, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus, therefore, saw his mother... And the disciples whom he loved, standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to his disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. It's interesting that <clears throat> Jesus um, always referred to Mary as woman and not mother. It's, that's... He's, and it's not, a, it's not a term of disrespect. He's actually, what he's doing, he's, he's honoring his father and mother, right? According to the first commandment with a promise. But he's taking care of Mary. So he looks at John, 
Take care of her. Why? Because that fulfills God's law, that shows love and honor to his mom, parents. See, even to the very end, this is what I want you to catch of Christ, even to the very end, even under extreme pain and suffering, he is still fulfilling God's law. He is still fulfilling God's, what God wants his son to do as far as obedience to the law. And again, when you are in pain, (laughs) do you think about fulfilling God's law? Or do we sometimes like this? You know what? Let me just get through this pain and then I'll start being obedient to you again. I just find it's interesting. I mean, he's on the cross. He could, that could have been the last thing that he thought about. And yet, he's, he's taking care of his own mother. So a provision for his mother. Jesus was engaged in the most momentous and most stupendous undertaking that this earth has ever or will ever witness. <clears throat> Offering satisfaction to an outraged justice of God. Dying for sinners. Yet, we find him ministering on the cross to a crowd, to a lawbreaker, and to a relative. Nothing too, too small for him to overlook. So he's serving through suffering. Serving through suffering. You find yourself able to serve through suffering. See, this has given me a really good glimpse of our Lord. That He wants to serve. He is going to do what the Father has said, even in the midst of the greatest suffering. And He does it with His mother. We call woman. By, by the way, I, wouldn't, I would not advise you young kids to call your mother woman. All right. This is a different special relationship. Is someone beeping or is that me beeping? Yeah, I'm sorry. I was going to make the uh, little thing that if I may not be able to make it through this, but we'll see. Can we, um, is that done? No, that's not done. So again, woman. Well, you'll have stories to tell your kids years from now, won't you? I remember one time we had this pastor and he was like, had this bag around. We never knew what was in that bag, but it beeped once in a while. <laughs> By the way, Mary, remember, Mary had other children. Let's be very, very careful. Mary was not a virgin when she died, finally. Uh, Mary, you should not worship Mary. That is idolatry. Mary herself in Luke one forty seven said, My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Mary recognized her need for a Savior. She does not have a special position in heaven. She does not have a special position before Jesus. By the way, do not think of it this way, getting back to my previous illustration. Well, you know, God is hesitant to save. God the Father is hesitant to save. And maybe even Jesus is sometimes hesitant to save. You know, he can get a little gruff at times. And so we need Mary because Mary is a tender, loving woman and a son will never say no to his mother. No, that's, that is wrong. It's blasphemy. Jesus is God. Mary is not. Mary is just a human. She's all Mary is is an instrument used by God just like you. Right? 
But he does provide for her. And uh, the point I want you to see is, uh, even in the smallest of obediences, if you will, Jesus fulfills that even in the torture of the cross. Number four, a petition to the Father. Now it's beeping more. Honey, you may have to help me. Yeah. Wouldn't you like to have this thing? Yeah, we're almost done. I just see what I mean when when they say that she stays with me. Yeah, it's just. <clears throat> well, let me just tell you what I uh, I handed in uh, not resignation, but I. I'm off the salary payroll as of last week, so just so you know. I don't know why. I don't know why I told you that. By the way, what does that look like to you right here? Boy, this was a real, this wasn't the smoothest message I ever had. But let's, let's just quickly and we'll be done. But, but I, I just hope you see, I'm just trying to get you to see the heart of the Savior. That's really, I mean, cares about a thief, you know, cares about his mother. Look at this, a petition to his father. Again, father here is God the Father. In the climax of suffering and separation... Now all of a sudden it's the sixth hour, uh, it's Matthew 27, 27, 45. Now from the sixth hour darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour, that's what? Sixth hour would be what? What is it? Uh, noon to three. The first was suffering. This is where the actual atonement took place though. This is where atonement took place, Okay. Where, uh, in Matthew 27:45, from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, For, uh, God, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's taken right out of Psalms 22. Hundreds of years earlier, this had been prophesied. And, and, and this was spoken by the most unlikely of people. Think about this. Perfect Son of God, why have you forsaken me? Of all the people in the universe, he would be the last person that should have been forsaken by a holy God. Right? He's perfect. So for him to ask that question, that's the most profound question. Why have you forsaken me? I can see you forsaken them. Why have you forsaken me? Because again, sin had been placed on him and that he needed to pay for it. And I've read this probably 25 times in my years here, but I've got to read it again. It just almost brings tears to my eyes every time I read it. This is where Jesus is abandoned. He's crushed on the cross as he bore the sins of the world, as he becomes our substitute. He's the guilt. Our guilt is being placed on him in these hours. And as MacArthur said it, quote, 
here's what's happening on the cross. God was punishing His own Son as if Jesus had committed. I want you to catch this. God was punishing His own Son as if Jesus had committed every wicked deed done by every sinner who would ever believe, though He had not. Christ never became a sinner. But He, but he suffered as though He had become a sinner. And actually had, 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 had committed every one of those sins. And He did it, that's Christ, and, and Christ did it, so that he could forgive and treat those redeemed ones, those who are saved, as if they had lived Christ's perfect life of righteousness. That's imputation. But I, just, I want you to, I just want you, like hard candy, just, man, uh, savor that for a while. That he was crushed, that he was abandoned by the Father, the, the love that the Father had for the Son, I believe, stayed intact, and yet, and yet He's paying for the sins of our, our, our sins. I mean, it's, it's a very, very fine line that you've got to walk. But the point is this, all of your sin was placed on Him. And God looked at Him like He did look at you before salvation. And, he, and that's why He said, why, why have you forsaken Me? And that's where Isaiah 53 comes. Surely our griefs he has bore, our sorrows he has carried, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, and chastened for our well-being. I mean, all the are. In other words, you took my place. You became my substitute. And that's a petition to the Father. Why? Why have you forsaken me? And again, there's a lot of... Theologians have debated specifics, and I'm not going to get into that at this point. But the point, the only point I want you to get is this, that our salvation is not what we do, but who we believe. That's the whole point. He took every one of my sins. All the sins. And I don't even want to name all the sins, right? But think of the most heinous sins that you've done. All the selfish and unrighteous and proud, arrogant and all the just, it's all about me, and it's not about you, and all the things that have come up, and all the things that keep coming up, and all that was placed on Christ, and he cries out. That's what was happening on the cross. Self-sacrifice. He's willing to sacrifice himself on, the, uh, on behalf of another. Let's look at another one. Fifth statement, a plea for relief. This is John 19. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, in other words, redemption, atonement, that the Scriptures were fulfilled, all these things were accomplished, that the Scriptures might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. By the way, I thirst. I'm thirsty. <laughs> Not like he thirsted. Now a vessel, a jar full of sour wine was sitting there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine upon him and a branch of hyssop, and brought it to his mouth, and just sprinkled it on. Now again, earlier in the whole process of torture, they tried to get him to drink some stuff. That was a different drink, and that was supposed to make it so that he went into a little bit of a delirium, so he didn't quite know all the pains that were there. It was kind of like me giving myself a shot, except when, when the first time he was given uh, that other drink, he said no. 
And you know why he said no? Because he wanted to make sure he had full understanding of the consequences of all the sins that he was paying for. So he said no the first time. Now, after the, the uh, scriptures had been fulfilled, after the atonement had been accomplished, now he said, I thirst. And they gave him a different drink on hyssop. And this was actually for the purpose of prolonging the life. Now, I want you, this one prolongs life and it also sharpens your sensitivities. It doesn't, it doesn't dull them, it, it uh, sharpens them. Why would he want to do that? Because he wanted to finish out having done the entire atonement with full knowledge. So they bring it to his lips, to his mouth, they sprinkle it on. This shows his true humanity. This shows his true humanity, that he wanted the full effect, the full. This reveals his desire that every fact of his death, as, as of his life, would be in accord to Scripture. He didn't want to lose any part. In other words, he had to continue to the very end, making sure that the Scripture could say, could say this, according to the Scripture, according to the Scripture, according to the Scripture. So here he was willing to take that, uh, that sour wine just a little bit, sensitized, sharpened his final few moments on this earth so that, he, so that all Scripture would be fulfilled. How about number six, a pronouncement of victory. So when Jesus had received the wine, verse 30, he said with a loud voice. Now again, not a whimpering voice. All three uh, Gospels say, It is finished! I'm sure by then it was all he had left. Or we would write on a bill of sale, what? Paid in full. Paid in full. One commentator said, The Greeks boasted of being able to say much in little. Quote, To give a sea of matter, you know, an ocean of matter in a drop of language. And that's the word right there. That, there's only one word, but it, it completely, you know, you get a good understanding. It's paid in full. It's in the perfect tense. Once for all, never to be repeated. Never to be repeated. It is finished. My sacrifice, my atonement, it is complete. Quote, it would, it would need all the words that were ever spoken or ever can be spoken to explain this one word. It is immeasurable, it is high, I cannot attain it. It is deep, I cannot fathom it, Spurgeon said. You, you can't explain it. I mean, it's just, it is finished. Everything that has to do with the atonement, it is finished. Perfect, complete, and as Hebrews says, he sat down. He, he wasn't offering sacrifice for himself, he was offering for, our, for us, and therefore, because he offered it for us, our salvation is guaranteed, it is secure. Oh, I don't know if I really, I don't know if I feel saved, it doesn't matter what you feel. What did Christ do? It is finished. And then finally, a prayer of consummation. And this you find in Luke 23, verse 46. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, there again, highlight that loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. What do you see? Total control. Total, absolute control. In John chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus, speaking to his disciples, said, No one, no one has taken my life away from me, but I lay it down of my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, 
and I have authority to take it up again. And that's what you see here. He has that authority. And so, whereas the fellowship had been broken in some way, and I'm not going to try to explain that here, in some way the fellowship had been broken between the Father and the Son, something had changed. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now all that has been restored. And he is in control of all that, and he is able to say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then from that point on, the veil of the temple has been torn. I might even preach on that next week. From top to bottom, the earth shook. There's so many of these uh, miracles that happen right at this moment. And as Hebrews 4.16 will, will end here. Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Let us that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. A throne of grace. Think of that. A throne. How many times have we meditated on that? A throne of grace. A throne. What is a throne? A throne is where you, you would be reverential before a throne, right? I mean, you don't go to a throne before a king, before a sultan, prime minister. Hey, dude, how you doing? Just wanted to check in, you know, see how, see how my man's doing. You're not going to talk. No, a throne, there's reverence. But it's grace. Something you don't deserve. We come before God. We don't deserve coming before God, but it's a throne of grace. And all that has been accomplished because Christ went to the cross. Let's stand as we close. Hmm?